Welcome back to Audio Authentic. I'm your host, Maria Garcia, and this is your unofficial guide to being you. In this episode, I had the opportunity and immense pleasure of interviewing two brilliant and kind people who work for the city of Edmonton, Councillor Scott McKean and his policy advisor, Rebecca Vischer. Not only that, This will also be the debut episode that incorporates a visual component. In a previous episode, I mentioned that there are profound and potent lessons waiting for us just around the riverbend of the unknown. This can be daunting, although it is exactly where you and I are headed. So come along, won't you, as we explore what authenticity means in the lives and experiences of Scott and Rebecca. Scott McKean is a city councillor from Edmonton, Alberta. He represents folks that live in the downtown and surrounding neighbourhoods on issues that impact the way they experience their city, such as parks, sidewalks, problems with their neighbours, buses, libraries. The list keeps going. What makes Councillor McKean special, however, is his passion for topics that aren't traditionally seen as city issues, like mental health and addictions, urban isolation, and climate change, and our housing crisis. He was a journalist for 24 years with the Edmonton Journal, more than half of it as a reporter and columnist for City Hall. He also became actively involved in the community as volunteer director of the Downtown Community League, the Edmonton Mennonite Center for Newcomers, the Downtown Vibrancy Task Force, and the Lieutenant Governor's Circle on Mental Health and Addiction. Rebecca Vischer is a policy advisor for Councillor McKean. Her job is to support and facilitate with public discord, maintain relationships, and help see ongoing projects through to completion. Rebecca offers a unique perspective to her title as she holds a degree in psychology and has also worked for many years with vulnerable women and children in care shelters prior to her role in politics. According to Rebecca, what makes Councillor McKean and her special is how they love connecting with humans on an individual level, being vulnerable with them and witnessing vulnerability in return. They aren't your average buttoned-down, rigid professionals. They wear their hearts on their sleeves and hope to be as real with people as possible. On this, my first episode with a visual component, I was able to commission my brother, an artist based out of Vancouver named Joshua Garcia. A co-founder of Avalon Riot Productions, Josh is a graphic designer and a 3D animator. He combines his passion for film, video, and game editing to produce some mesmerizing and psychedelic designs. You can follow the work of this up-and-coming artist on his Instagram, Avalon Riot Productions. Try to lighten the mood here. Thank oh. you. It it definitely worked. <laughs> you got me to smile. <laughs> Alrighty. So uh, welcome, Scott and Rebecca, to the Audio Authentic podcast, to this community. It's uh, truly an honor, like I just said, to host the both of you um, and invite you into this, you know, um, uh, community that I'm cultivating here where we bring authentic people together and speak about you know things that i truly believe can change the world and make it 
a better place. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's a pleasure. It, it is a thrill to be here. So I thought that uh, we could start first maybe with Rebecca and I could ask you to explain how it was that we first met. Uh, I guess we haven't met yet, but encountered one another. And hopefully we will meet soon. We will. We will. Um, sure, I'm happy to, to introduce um, our relationship. So you reached out to Councillor McKean's office um, after your brother, David died by suicide and um, you were just looking for somebody to talk to and share the story with and and talk about gaps and um, and kind of look for resources and um, I am Councillor McKean's assistant and I love to take those types of um, emails and give them a read and um, those are the ones that that really like touch my heart and get me excited about the work that we do so um, I was lucky to to yeah grab your email and and um, set up that first meeting yeah and look at us now almost a year later it's true yeah yeah, it's um, relationships like yours, uh, the ones that we that we form with um, our constituents and people that are passionate about the same stuff as us. When it actually turns into something concrete, like you attending the community and public services committee meeting and sharing David's story, that's that's what gets me um, really excited about the work we do. Yeah. And can you give us a little bit of um, an overview of the the work that you two are involved in, uh, the both of you? I'm going to hand that one off to Scott, yeah. <laughs> so, Maria, thanks for having us, first of all. Um, so this is in, in no way... Uh, an, uh, an issue or an inconvenience for me, and I know Rebecca feels the same way. Um, I'm the I'm a city councilor in Edmonton for um, the greater downtown. We'll call it. It's a pretty big ward, but it includes the downtown and all the issues that I think most downtowns in North America have around homelessness and poverty, um, crime. And so we're, we're and, and, and it's also filled with, you know, uh, business centers and cultural flagships. And so we're busy, but um, the thing that um, keeps us going to work every day, I think, is the ability to help some people and to really connect with some people. And, and so, you know, my memory of this is a bit vague, but I'm, you know, Rebecca, I think, telling me that you'd reached out and you wanted to connect and I was more than happy to do so. So why would I be happy to do so? Because we're talking about extreme uh, tragedy and trauma and grief. Wow. To, to, to reflect on the, <clears throat> on the gist of your podcast, 
when when things get really um, sad, people tend to get really authentic. We sh we shed off all those faces and, and characters we wear and get to who we really are. And and who we really are for a lot of us is people who are hurt, wounded, sad, scared, a lot of the time. And and we don't want to wear those feelings that you know in a in a culture, in a society that demands that we be um we be individuals and practice individual responsibility and achievement and don't expect the community really to support us. Like, you know, we, we talk a good game around that stuff and we've talked a, a good game around mental health for, for, you know, two or three decades now, but ultimately the messages we're still being bombarded with say that it's up to us to look after ourselves and it's you know my experience is that's false and so to have an opportunity to meet someone like you and your and your siblings in that first meeting that first video meeting we did mm -hmm. and experience your hurt and anger and to listen to that absorb that think about that but to have a you know we're having an authentic we were having an authentic exchange of real you know you get rid of all the sort of personas and titles and bs at some point in grief we can hold each other up yes i i agree i remember uh that meeting very well um, and I also remember being very aware of how authentic we all were being and um, also a little um, surprised, actually very surprised to find that I just so happened to find the two people who were just perfectly suited for the, the concerns that I had to appreciate and address the concerns that I had because uh, Scott, you know, you you have a background in, you know, journalism, and I know you've spoken about a lot of stories that you um, were involved in that, uh, you know, were related to suicide and mental health. And, and now, you know, you, you work in mental health initiatives uh, for the city of Edmonton. Um, so I, I don't even quite remember how I came across your names but i'm so glad that i did yeah if i can pump scott's tires a little bit here because i think he's not like other city councilors or other politicians and so kind of back to your first question like what do we do not all city councilors do this um we do a lot of and and, and cities don't seem like they um should do this do mental health but um but scott paid made an initiative the mental health isolation initiative because he really believes that we all play a role in in mental health and in community so um 
you know, a lot of our day is like potholes and parks and, um, you know, uh, developments, new developments coming in. But um, we, Scott's really special and it makes our office really special. And so um, we get to do uh, really beautiful stuff like this. Yeah, I can see how special he is, um, even without meeting you in person yet, because of the way that, you know, Rebecca here, like, speaks about you. And, yeah, it, I have a lot of respect for you and, and also you, Rebecca. I can see that you're very passionate about this. So I, I feel the need. First of all, that was uncomfortable. <laughs> and as, as you were saying those things, Rebecca, I realized that was uncomfortable. And so, again, if I could um, philosophize about that, I suspect it's because those kind words don't meet my um, deep, hidden, unconscious beliefs about myself, which can get in the way of authenticity. So if I feel deep down that I'm essentially not worthy, that I'm a bit of a freak, I'm um, not lovable, all those things. And I, you know, it would take a, a, another podcast to go through why I feel that way. Uh, but let's just say that I, I'm, I'm, walk, I'm walking wounded, like mm -hmm. a lot of people. And I've had my own mental health journey, anxiety disorder, depression, and then self-medication with alcohol. And I have a drink for I think it's 15 years now. I should double check that. I should really celebrate the number of years. Yeah. But, 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 um, so Rebecca speaking kindly about me, which she never does, by the way. Um, that was a joke. That was a joke. Um, was, was awkward, but I feel I must, I must. So Rebecca describes herself as my assistant. What a trite way of describing her role because we really, I think, try to foster in the office. There's three of us and sometimes we have had a part-timer, so four of us. We try to create a team atmosphere that, yeah, the counselor's got to go walk into those damn formal council meetings, but we're all in this together. And and I used to joke that Rebecca was the morale officer because she has this tremendous spirit uh, and optimism and enthusiasm until she didn't. Until someday she didn't, and hey. she came back with, and, and she came back with, I can't be that for you all the time. She was hurting, she was stressed mm. out, she was feeling down, and that was a that was a good sort of wake up call for me to realize as the quote-unquote leader of the team, I had to be the morale officer too. And, and so that was, you know, I've learned so much from Rebecca because she'll be pretty honest with me and authentic with me. And what, what, a, what a glorious gift it is to have friendships and relationships where you can be much more authentic with each other than you might be with other people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It Thanks, sounds... Scott. <laughs> Did that make you uncomfortable, Rebecca? Um, Scott does that to me all the time. So <laughs> actually, maybe I don't 
pump your tires enough. <laughs> I'm used to it, well, uh, but it didn't make me uncomfortable. The, I think that is a requirement of friendship. It's or or in relationships, is to sometimes express to the other person what you love about them, mm -hmm. why you enjoy their company, how important they are to you, and and specifically what it is. To not to, to, if we say you're fantastic. Well, could you back that up with a little bit of, of specific information, please? So Maria, you're fantastic. And I'll tell you why, because you have shown us a range of emotions. You've been really vulnerable with us right from the get go. And that is rare. And, um, and I really appreciated it. And you're fighting for so the other thing I love about you is you're fighting for a for justice, and and that justice is for the memory of your your um, beloved um, brother David, but I think also for other other families mm -hmm. that are going have gone through this the grief and let's use the word we were talking about a little bit before the podcast again grief and shame. Mm -hmm. Like how terrible it is that families feel shame after a, a suicide. But so that's what I uh, I really admire about you, and I and you're you know you're funny, and 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 optimistic, and and kind of cute. So and 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 I'm not kind of cute. You're cute, but I'm 62. I don't know what age you are. I just didn't want to be creepy. I just mean you're a cute person. You have a wonderful <laughs> spirit. <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> okay now i feel uncomfortable <laughs> it's it's interesting that when you get a compliment you know um that it makes you uncomfortable it almost feels like you're picking someone's picking at your scab or something you know mm. yeah i find that to be very well and again is it in conflict with how you feel about yourself? And, yeah. and so what, you know, I think this is fairly universal. Compliments disappear really quickly, mm. but criticism uh, really hurts and sticks around, right? So it's a, it's a, there's something our brains do, our minds do to us that is messed up to be honest. But, you know, I think if you could sit in that compliment all of us, just mm -hmm. for a second, and and let it be. Just let it sit there and and sink in a little bit. That somebody else likes and loves you, right? That's that's a that's a lovely thing to know, isn't it? That maybe some of these things that you think about yourself need to be uh, need to be dissolved a little bit over time, right? Because the evidence is, I'm sure, Maria, in your life. And I certainly know Rebecca in her life is that there's all kinds of people that love you and love to be around you. So that's a wonderful thing. And it speaks to generosity of your own spirit. We don't like to be around people who only want to talk about themselves like me. No, kidding. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I do want to talk a little bit at some point, Maria, we don't have to do it now, but I was thinking about this coming into this. 
authenticity and how that relates to why I'm not, why I'm getting out of politics. Mm, yes, I, I would like to dive, dive into that for sure. Um, actually, before we get into that, can you give me our, and our listeners uh, a background into your journalism and how that steered into getting into politics? And then we can sort of arrive to where you are now and how you want to maybe move away from that. Sure. Um, so, so long story short, I was really confused and, and I think really suffering from mental health issues as a young man. I'd done a year of university, dropped out because I didn't really know why I was there. I felt really isolated in big university classes. Sold cars actually for two and a half years. That was uh, what I did for a living. And then I did some interest tests in it, and they kicked out a librarian, a bookstore worker, or journalist. And I think journalist was the most manly one. So I went with that. Um, and. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I actually, I've done a little bit in actually elementary school. We did a newspaper and it was, a, it just clicked with me. So I went to, I went to McEwen College. It was then now McEwen University in Edmonton, you know, and I did really well in my, in my classes and in my marks because I suddenly found something I loved. Went from there to weekly new, weekly newspapers, and then got on at the Edmonton Journal, and I worked at the Edmonton Journal, which was at the time Western Canada's best newspaper, I would argue. Mm -hmm. uh, and for I did that for twenty four years, covered City Hall for twelve adults, so it gets kind of into your blood. Uh, as the newspaper was starting to circle the drain in twenty ten, for many reasons. I uh, I was approached by a group who wanted me to run for council. Uh, uh, applied and got a buyout from the Edmonton Journal, ran for city council, lost, uh, then started my own communications, very humble communications company, but did okay with that. And then got sort of talked and uh, pushed in 2013 to run again. And, and uh, wonder of wonders, I got elected. And so... But along that journey, especially in journalism years, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of drinking. And when I finally wrote about it, we have it's a journal. I remember, I clearly remember one person come up to me after and saying, I always assumed you were the most put together guy. You never showed any fear or whatever. So authenticity again. Come back to that. I was, I was a total fake, a, walking through life as portraying a character that had his shit together. I hope you allow the odd, slight mm. profanity on this. Um, had, had his shit together, which was t totally untrue. So, uh, writing, I wrote quite a big piece on that. There was an amazing reception to it. It was pretty clear that. There were a lot of people in Edmonton suffering as I was and not finding a way to get help. So I, I, I turned that sort of into a beat. 
at the newspaper wrote a lot about psychology, human behavior, personal growth, fitness, everything, all these things. And it was a real joy to do that for a couple of years. Um, yeah, it was really neat. So I got to write about, you know, everything from, you know, recovery groups to Qigong, meditation, uh, all these interesting and sometimes weird um, modalities, as they're called. But that was a real, I, I learned a ton in that period. And it really opened my mind to become really curious about what it means to be human, what it means to be a wounded human, and how we as a culture hide behind the artifice of success, a lot of it mm -hmm. material success. Um, it's very, uh, you know, just because you have a million dollars or a million dollars does not mean that you're successful in, no. in the sense of, you know, there's been a million studies. No, I'm exaggerating. There's been a lot of research to show that it's, it comes down to relationships. That's what makes yeah. us happy. You can yeah. have, so, um, I was just going to say, you can have all of these, you know, um, material you know you can have material wealth but you can be at a real deficit in your relationships in your emotional and mental well-being and i find it very interesting that when you opened up and shared your story that that was almost like a domino effect and people you know it was like a breath of fresh air and somebody in the room is being authentic and people are drawn to that People are, are drawn to other people's authenticity. And um, yeah, I, I find I'm very curious about that. That's sort of what I want to, you know, talk about in this podcast, why we're drawn to it, but why are we afraid of it at the same time? So I'm going to bring, bring Rebecca back into this because she has shared some of her pain and her wounds with me. And I have done the same with her, but in any relationship, friendship, um, certainly your primal relationships, how could you ever claim to be loved or love somebody else if they can't be really open and authentic with you? Because if not, then you're being loved for being a character, a character or you're loving a character, or a caricature. Um, so that's why I think ultimately authenticity needs to speak to, not everywhere, all day, every place, you know, walking up to people and going, I, I just had a panic attack or something. You don't have to do that sort of thing. But in your pri primary relationships, to be able to say to people, I'm having a really friggin' bad day, I'm my anxieties through the roof, whatever it is, and maybe have a couple minutes to just unload that and have the other person listen. Well, then they get to know you, right? And they and getting to know you and who you are inside your your inner life. We don't allow our inner life out into our outer life very often, but you need relationships like that. I would argue to learn, to start to become more authentic and be loved for who you really are. 
words na mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Did I characterize you right, Rebecca? I, yes, I think so. Well, we're friends. We're definitely friends. We have an authentic, <laughs> we have a very authentic but not, relationship. <laughs> but you're not perfect. You're not no. happy all the time. No. No. no, and I have, and I, and eventually, I, I feel this tension that I have to be authentic about that, and and so going back to that story about me originally being this full time morale officer, eventually I, I burnt out, and I and I I felt the tension of being inauthentically uh, fine, um, and so yeah, I'm kind of reflecting on on your theme in this podcast. Um, why do we both covet authenticity in others and, and hide it in ourselves. And I'm thinking about, you know, a moment I had even just last night where I, I kind of forgot there was like other people around and I was being really authentically myself. And, and then you scan people's faces, right. And how they're, how they're taking you in mm-hmm. and you have your own filter, right. Mm-hmm. How you're, how you're reading their, their eyes. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, I've just scared these people with my, like, excitement and my myself. I scared them. But, I mean, I think about other times where I've I've gotten lost in the moment and been authentically myself. And you find out maybe from somebody else another time or, or, or you find out from that person later on that they weren't scared. They were they were excited or they were kind of like inspired by you or they were like, yeah, like I, I like that energy. Yeah. So it's a roller coaster. I authenticity for me. And then there's times where you choose to be authentic as well. And, and making that choice is, is a roller coaster. Like you said, for the last podcast episode you made, it was, it was a roller coaster of emotion choosing to be authentic. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of lead up there um, where I I was kind of going over how I felt it would be received and, you know, buying into all these stories that I was making up in my head. Um, and that's, it's, it's always wrong, I find. On the other side of it, you're always wrong about, you know, the worst part is the anticipation. The worst part yeah. is the anticipation. Rebecca, I'm curious when you felt like, you know, you were in the thick of that, you know, um, that phase where you were the morale officer, was that self-imposed or did you see some, did you see that that, you know, role needed to be filled and, and you almost felt pushed to it? That's a really good question. Um, I'm, I reflect on kind of the role that I've taken in in other jobs that I've had or other other uh in other employment and I think that's a pattern for me where I like I really like the team mentality and like the family sort of mentality um and I do like to try to bring as much laughter and light as possible but but like Scott said, I'm not perfect. And I have my own, you know, anxiety um, that ebbs and flows with whatever's going on in my life. And um, 
And so, yeah, I can't be that person all the time, but so it's, it's both. It's, it's a choice, but it's, but it's also something that I think comes naturally to me. Mm -hmm. You probably find it fun to be that person until you can't be right. And I, yeah. I sort of, if, if I'm extrapolating from my own experience, I apologize. But you have those days where you really are sort of leading the charge in, in, in joking around or whatever. And that's really fun. It's fun to be that person. I always remember when I think it was maybe Rebecca's, one of Rebecca's first days. And I walk in and I go, I'm going, you look so good on a Monday. I love Mondays, she said. <laughs> I love Mondays, which was total bullshit. But, but, well, there was um, a honeymoon phase. There's a honeymoon phase to every job. <laughs> the first three Mondays are always okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that cracked me up. And, uh, and it was really important. Like, that was an important moment for our friendship, relationship, for her to tell me at one point, I can't be your morale officer all the time. And I, and I don't know what those were the exact words, Rebecca, but I remember that was the message I took. Oh, right. That's not her role to be, you know, it's a stressful job being a city councillor. And, um, and so why would I turn that responsibility onto one other person to, to, to lighten the mood, lighten the load, you know, get me more relaxed, find a laugh. No, that's my responsibility, uh, you know, really is to learn how to relax, find joy in, in small things, yada, yada, yada. So I learned a lot from that, but that was an authentic moment, right? That was Rebecca finding the courage to tell her boss, you know, bugger off, I can't be your morale officer all the time. You got to take some responsibility on that. You probably didn't say that, Rebecca, exactly that way. But no, I think I'm it's still terrified to hurt people's feelings. Mm, oh yeah, me too. So, so anyways, it was, you know, if you again, if you have a relationship where you can be, if you can speak your, again, your inner, let some of your inner life out and your feelings out, um, it's it's it, it can deepen things so much more, and uh, and I, you know, I have. Uh, I have violated the relationship with my staff. I have, I know that I've yelled at them once and, and it, under extreme pressure was the reason, not the excuse. And then I went right back into therapy after that. Um, so um, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, I was thinking about this again as we're coming to this was I just watched a piece last night on the way our brains work and really fascinating new research about whether we're talking about conscious will or free will, you know, this notion of self and authenticity. It's really complicated. The Buddhists would tell us there is no real self, that that's a, that's a, a myth we form over the course of our life. But I still think there's things that resonate with our cells or don't and that's the lifelong journey to find out what are our passions um 
what makes us feel most alive, what people are part of that and what people are toxic to that. Mm-hmm. And then looking after ourselves and our passions and our interests. And, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the problems with mental illness and addiction is people tend to isolate themselves. Mm-hmm. And it can be a really challenging journey to come out of that um, bunker mm-hmm. of protection and start to re-enter the world. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we talked about it. I don't think we ever really got that nailed down in, in the initiative that we worked on. How do we get, how do we invite people out of their bunkers because they need a special invitation. They know it's going to be, they need to know it's going to be safe. They need to know it's not going to involve bullying of any sort. They need to know that they're not going to be suddenly put in a spotlight and asked mm-hmm. to tell their life story or something. It's really tricky to get people out. But, you know, uh, uh, I would say a few obvious ways for people to get out into the world and learn about their passions and authenticity is volunteering would be the number one thing and try something for a while volunteer at the most humble level you're going to meet other people and in doing service like that while you're already somewhat bulletproof and and so that that's you know um i as you know maria i tend to love um recovery groups and therapy groups and support groups to look for those. And because I think you can meet other people who have the same wounds Uh, and that can be incredibly, um, incredibly, I can't say the word I want. It just lets you know that you're not the only one in the world with anxiety or depression or grief, these sorts of things that I almost think are universal. Mm-hmm. Somebody's, there, there was this wonderful project Diane Evans had recently and they called it, um, it was a soul loss. And they, they um, hired people out of the community, artists, a lot of them, to spend time with someone, a vulnerable person in the community, a lot of them being homeless or near homeless. And, there, and then the idea was to talk, get comfortable, get those people comfortable enough they could talk about their loss in their life. And then the loss tender, as they called them, would create something out of that, a song or a painting or a poem or a story to validate that. And I really love that program because it, you know, I think we're all we're all suffering from some form of loss or grief. For me, um, there would have been certain potentials that I um, that I grieved that I didn't that I didn't pursue, or relationships I didn't pursue, or relationships that uh, fell apart. We're all suffering on it some way, Maria. I know yours is really tangible right now, um, um, but but I think. You, I hope you know, I hope you know that everybody around you has their own 
loss and grief that they're dealing with. You know, there might be a small percentage of people out there that are clicking their he heels when they got up in the morning and clicking their heels before they go to bed at night. But that's, I don't know, I haven't met that person yet. Me neither. Counselor Knack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is one guy. There is true. I, true I plugged Counselor Knack, yeah. <laughs> I have to meet, yeah, this, have to meet of, this person. Yeah, he's... He's kind of, um, I've used Ned Flanders from, from the Simpsons <laughs> to describe him, he, but he is the, he's really, he's a fantastic uh, public servant. Um, and he does, and I always say, how are you doing, Andrew? Great! It's and authentic, goes, Great. Great. too. It's legitimately think, yeah. authentic. I think he's great all the time, and it kind of pisses me off. <laughs> Why is I? I'm, I feel that. I feel that. Why is it that like it's almost like offensive? Like it's rude that you're so happy. <laughs> but never change, Counselor Nack. Yeah, I never love, love you. Never met you, but I love you. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that we don't only suffer loss in the sense that we lose people that we love. We also can mourn the, the loss of your sense of self. We also mourn, you know, previous versions of who we are. Maybe when mm -hmm. we find ourselves in the midst of tragedy or, you know, grief, uh, we sort of lose ourselves in that. And then, you know, you, you sort of mourn the loss of yourself and, um, and the potential too, you know, of who you can, could be or should be. So yeah. I'm gonna get a little vulnerable here and talk about the thing I'm most ashamed out of about myself. And that is a, most of my life I've had a profound fear of flying. So I don't travel. And, and what I, what I grieve about that is I love to explore. That's one of my passions. And so, you know, I, I've explored Western Canada, but certainly Edmonton, and I explore people, if you will, uh, in, in the best way. I'm always like, when I meet people, I tend to ask them a lot of questions because I'm curious about them. And I'm curious about human behavior. So that's all a form of exploration for me, but to not have, um, not have experienced, you know, a place like Edinburgh, which I know I would just be able to be totally lost in for at least a few days, or, you know, uh, I've been to, I was, I have been to Italy uh, in high school, um, got there and back somehow. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's me being, um, there's a real sense of grief and loss around that I probably haven't even really tapped into. And I think also some loss about, so I've been single a long time and I, you know, there's, there's a history there that I prepared, maybe not, I, I, we needed to another time, I guess I could talk about my failed relationships, but there's loss there too, right? Around not having a partner that I'm spending my 
my life with. Um, I have a lot of things that are don't live up to the standard of what people would think is a successful life. And so I've had careers, quite a bit of career success as a journalist. Then I got elected to city council, um, which a lot of people would see as incredible success. Um, and I, I hope they feel that way in the sense that here's a guy with mental health issues who did okay. Right. That's the only thing that I would I would like people to go, huh, he did it. Maybe I'll get there. You know, maybe I'll get there. And that's that that would be a if I could leave that message with some people, that'd be great. But I certainly want them to also know that I it's not I'm not Andrew Knack. I'm not clicking my heels in the morning and clicking my heels at night and having this like fantastic day of wonder and, and and amazingness it's just not that way so um yeah it's it, the message being i think we're all hurting we're all wounded we're all scared we're all sad doesn't necessarily make up all of us but it makes up part of who we are and 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 I love the theme of your podcast again because we will we will um, we will unite through our pain. Mm -hmm. I know it looks like we unite through celebration, but we'll really get to know each other individually and as a community when we meet in our pain and lift each other up. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah, I uh, for a long time, actually for as long as I can remember, I had that notion in my mind and I never shared it with anybody. Um, and I was fully aware, like I observed the inauthenticity around me. And um, sometimes I actually envied it, to be quite honest with you, that people could put on these masks and, you know, seem uh, so put together and like nothing really bothered them. And I, I tried, you know, in my imperfect way to actually emulate that, but it, it felt so icky inside of me that I couldn't, I couldn't continue the facade. Um, and in a lot of ways it isolated me. Um, Almost like, you know, if you're flying and, you know, lamenting the missed opportunity of seeing the world, it's, I felt like I was missing the opportunity of, you know, participating in mm -hmm. society in a holistic way. But I find now that, you know, going inward and just kind of expressing who I am authentically, that that is a full life and I don't need to... Like, I think that that is a holistic way to live. And whoever is drawn to that is somebody that I'd like to meet, certainly. Well, uh, yes. And I, I'm going to take it back to Rebecca and her experience, which she described to me by text, where she was in a, her authentic self last night. Was that Rebecca? Yeah. 
meeting mm-hmm. meeting somebody from Edmonton in Saskatoon, uh, who we both know and really like, and then some fancy pants um, chief of staff for the mayor or something, and you were probably quite loud, quite exuberant, <laughs> and probably laughing really loud. And then yeah. you you did some you did some mind reading, right? You 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 thought, oh my god, oh my god, um, <laughs> they they think I'm crazy, right? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. And you know what? They might. It's not yeah. like every time I get lost in an authentic moment, people love it. Sometimes they genuinely are like, you need to tone it down. Um, and that's fine. <laughs> I yeah. think, I, I, well, and I, I can say that now there's obviously, it's that roller coaster. There's moments where that doesn't feel fine and I feel ashamed. Um, yeah. But But what pulls me out of that is, are these moments of clarity where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm fun. I'm sweet. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm authentically fun. Like whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love Mondays. I love Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> I love Sundays. Um, yeah. <laughs> people are drawn to Rebecca's spirit. And that is one that is really alive often really alive and she has a laugh that so i love oh. making people laugh and and sometimes if i can make rebecca laugh uh people three buildings over are hearing that i think and i and i quite love that and uh, uh so, la- yeah, laughter is a get- good laughter is a really good uh is a good indicator for authenticity i think uh mm. actually because because uh I, I am I have a very loud laugh, and yeah, like, like yours is really loud too, and and <laughs> most people actually love it. Like, yeah. but sometimes sometimes you you laugh and people look and you have this moment of like, oh my god, I'm too much. Um, but you know, way more often than not, people say they like my laugh. So so yeah, it's. A lot of, I think, for me personally, um, a lot of the roller coaster of authenticity is is what people will think of, what people think of me, or what people will think of me. What um, you think people think of you too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a what what a, what a what a trap! What a jail we create for ourselves when we do that, though, right? And I, I I'm I'm in as or more guilty of that than you. And um, so one of the reasons I'm not running again after two four-year terms, I'm just kind of tired of being in a fairly toxic environment, certainly not my office. I think we have the best office at City Hall in Edmonton. And we do make ourselves laugh and we support each other and we, we, we sometimes bitch and moan about other counselors and stuff, but we, we support each other really well, but it's being like, there's this thing in politics known as retail politics. And that is getting out into the community, shaking hands, meeting with people, doing all that stuff. 
if I can't do that authentically, first of all, I'm people won't believe this, but I'm largely shy. I, I, in the right moment, in the right situation, put me on a stage. I've got a good speech I want to deliver. That doesn't bother me, but put me into a room and they say, during a campaign, they say, go, go meet all these people. Go introduce yourself to all these people. That is excruciating for me. And so that would, that requires fakery on my part. And put on a persona and go, hey, how you doing? I'm Scott McGee. I just hate that. Mm -hmm. And so there's it a lot of this job, I've said it, and I think, Rebecca, you've probably heard me say this. It's like I'm fighting my personality all the time in this role. Mm -hmm. There's amazing moments we have had with and met so many amazing people. So then, Maria, you come along and you kind of wonder why, oh, look, this the counselor and Rebecca are devoting time to me and my siblings about this. You are, that moment for us was uh, a glass of cold water in a desert. It's like, oh, we're going to have an opportunity to meet authentically with people. It's not fun to know that you're in pain, but maybe we can help a little bit. Like we're not miracle workers, we can't make things change. But that was, so that's the answer in a way to one of your, I think, original curiosities. And I, I, I'm sorry, Rebecca, I'm gonna speak for you, but we love that shit. We love the ability to get with somebody, maybe be helpful, but also learn from them and share in this painful human journey which offers us time to time uh out of the blue reasons to celebrate and laugh mm -hmm. and but but i think they go hand in hand authenticity requires us to share our pain just yeah. as hopefully later we can share our laughter and so are you retiring from politics to get a little bit more of that and less of the other stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I would love to I'm just kind of done with that. It's I it's it's it feels like a little bit like it's sucking the life force out of me slowly. And so that I'm done with that. I think the and, question and you things, sorry to interrupt, but you wrestled with this decision for a long time. And I think it was a question of authenticity. And, and yeah, I, it was, it was, it was like, do you genuinely authentically want to do another term? Does that align authentically or are you yeah. doing it for other people? Mm -hmm. That was the tension. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I, that's a good reminder of, so, I know in a way that I went into journalism to satisfy my ego. That'd be cool. And my byline, my name would be on top of the story in the paper. And I eventually got a column, my name and my photo appeared with the column. Uh, you learn pretty quickly that that actually doesn't mean that much that, you know, um, that it, it and then in politics, which I'm on the news quite a bit, I'll have people recognize me. 
then that really you learn eventually that the external validation that you thought would make you happy doesn't really do much. And so in therapy, I've had to admit to myself that one of the reasons I ran for public office was to deal with my initial trauma. My initial trauma came from my early life. And, 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 and again, I don't, I'm not blaming my parents. They did the best they could. But a sense that I wasn't lovable or good enough or I was a disappointment. So you then go into your adult life with that, those, those deep unconscious beliefs in your head. I'm not lovable. I'm, I'm a disappointment. Well, then I'm going to see if I can do something that will get that will change that. But it's an, and, you know, as I've heard this said at 12 step meetings a lot, sorry, it's an inside job. It's not an outside job. You cannot get enough external validation. I There's like not enough love yeah, uh, to, to fill you up. It's got to be you finding things that, 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 you, that turn you on, that you're passionate about, you find meaning in, relationships that are fulfilling, that you can help other people and they help you. That's what it is. And, and a slow, I think it's a slow build over time. And if you could do things, you know, I've often said, I, I, I know I'll never be considered a great man. I just want to be able to, for myself, continue to work towards the goal of considering myself a good man. So that's doing little things along the way that I'm, I'm proud of myself about. Not they're not necessarily worthy of, of of honors or prizes or awards, but you know. And I, again, I learned a lot of that in twelve step. That we're of service. Being of service to other people is how we fill we how we fill ourselves up. Weird. It sounds, it sounds like being in service of yourself. Your you know, true, authentic self is really what actually fills you up. So, so I remember in, when I was in 12-step, we would do talks at high schools. And I did a bunch of those. They were kind of fun to do. And I heard one of the other speakers say one day, I'm being completely selfish here. Because being of service to you, telling you about my addiction and recovery from that addiction, makes me feel good about myself so being of service you know someone said life's done with mirrors right and what you put out is tend it tends to be what you get back so we have been taught in our material world that uh, material success and fame and power will make us happy well that is a total that we've been sold a bill of goods because those are kind of empty. What fills us up, and, and I wouldn't have believed that my 25-year-old self would have called this bullshit, was if I'm kind and of service to somebody else in that moment. Well, I'm buying a chocolate bar at a convenience store, but I'm really kind to the clerk. That's an opportunity to practice. I might walk out of that convenience store I don't know if you've had that. Like I, I told the story to Rebecca recently. 
I'm driving on the road. I see a, a van with um, everything. All all questions are answered in the Quran. So I'm, I know this is a, a Muslim family. So, and we've had a number of high profile hate incidents against people of, of, of the Islamic faith in Edmonton. So I was able to actually pull up beside this van and I rolled my window down, their windows were down, and I yelled out, Assalamu Alaikum, which is a greeting uh, for people of uh, the Muslim faith. And the woman and the man both looked at me with big smiles on their face and responded appropriately. So that made me feel good about myself. It was a selfish act, but I wanted to send a message to them this white, you can't get much whiter than I am, uh, <laughs> saying to them, welcome, have a great day, like you, love you, whatever. And those small acts of service, I would argue, make a difference for other people, but also for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. A win-win. Yeah, it is. It really is, isn't it? I um, so I work in dentistry, you know, apart from doing this podcast and um, Scott, when you were talking about how, you know, you, you feel like you're almost expected to put on this like false exterior, um, and, you know, like, hey, you know, it's me, you know, Scott McKean or Maria Garcia, that's kind of how I have to present myself with patients because they come in and they're nervous and they're they're already expecting that they have to be authentic, you know, with their you know medical history and how they they're concerned that they're coming in with that day. Do you floss? That's mm -hmm. the scariest question. <laughs> Not every day. No. Don't tell my patients that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's difficult to, you know, sometimes you go in and you really, you know, kind of feel like shit and you can't show that to your patient because they're the ones who are receiving care and you have to be in control and you do have to put on this false exterior to sort of kind of manipulate the environment so that the patient feels safe to open up literally um, and, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, and, uh, but I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question, mm -hmm. but ultimately is that an act of service? So rather than being grumpy or stressed out, you're sort of taking a deep breath, being a pro and being kind to those people. To me, that would be an act of service. Yeah, I find that, you know, initially, and this is certainly not always the case, but there's some days where it's hard and the appointment starts off with me being fully aware that I'm being inauthentic and I'm just offering this decoy version of myself. But towards, you know, not even the middle, like really soon after, I start to see how they respond to the kindness and the compassion that I'm offering and the feelings of inauthenticity just wash away mm -hmm. and seeing this person um 
respond to me and then offer me their authenticity in return, it, it really is an authentic moment. We're both being very real with each other. There's no decoy, anything, and it's extremely rewarding. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I, I love to do. And that's what I'm trying to do here, you know, trying to just only get the authenticity, just, you know, completely circumvent the decoy and anything. Um, yeah, and I feel like that's what we're doing here today. Well, and in politics, there's sort of a lack of trust with other politicians because they have their own agenda. And it's sort of really hard. You gotta be, you can't be naive about that. And so you can't give, to be completely authentic with another politician is to risk uh, having them have an edge on you. I don't wanna overstate that because I don't think that's the way I live that role. But then, and then you have, you're dealing with a constituent who is um, really a pain um, and you have to suck it up as I, you know, well, sometimes you have to eat shit for half an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't like that. Like I, I, the authentic self would probably say to them, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I don't need any of your shame today or, or your, um, your, your, your vitriol or whatever. But, you know, it's honestly in this role as their elected official, I have to take eat some shit and then explain things, the, the facts to them of why council made that decision. Mm -hmm. And and often people don't want to hear that. They just want to be mad. They don't want their anger taken away. So that those those experiences pile up over time. And I I think Rebecca and Roxanne who works works with us, they take a lot more of that than I do. And, and I just think that is um, that's soul sucking work, being on yeah. the complaints department best, and, and so um, that's why I wanna. Your, that's how. That's why your email was different. I just want to pump Maria's tires quickly because your email said, "How can I help? How can I get involved?" And mm. that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, here's a problem. You know, that's not where the story ends. What should yeah. we do about it? We. Yeah. I, I've, you know, I've only ever had one encounter with, you know, a city council. And even walking away with just that one experience under my belt, I, ex I saw intimately, you know, there were moments of very obvious inauthenticity. Um, so I can only imagine, you know, after two, four year terms that, you know, that can get a little exhausting. I can fully appreciate that. Yeah, and I, there are other people who could do it much longer and do it really well. And part of it's just my, my wounds or my character or my personality. Or sensitive. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm a pretty sensitive guy, yeah, and and I, I don't want to feel ashamed of that. You know, I think sensitive people should be in politics in a way. Yes. 
not you know mm-hmm. not not bullies and brutes, um, yeah. no matter their gender. Um, and but but it's a hard road for people who are sensitive. I hate when people say um, you're too nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I don't I completely disagree. There's no no such thing as too nice. I think. Yeah. Or quit being so sensitive, which yeah, I've heard myself. So yeah, my I, I never use it at the time. So just like so you you want me to be a completely different person. Yeah. And, and, and tell me how tell me how to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is who I am and 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 that happened in journalism a couple times from bosses. And meanwhile I was, you know, um with all I was doing really well. Like it's not like I was a in any way a failure in journalism, but I might have been a little annoyed about something, and they would say, "Well, you know, you're just being too sensitive." Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know. But um, uh, we 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 run across people like that, and I think again, if they just run, if if we run into the once at a blue moon, no problem. But if they're part of our lives intimately, then we have to quietly, humbly sit down and explain ourselves to them. And if they still continue to undermine our mental health and happiness, then at some point, some people are toxic in our lives. Yeah. And 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 some people fill us up. Right. So that we have to figure out too. Mm-hmm. We do. So I guess final question is, if I could ask you both to tell me why you're passionate about mental health and why you're passionate about authenticity, because I can clearly see that both of you are respond and responded to my authenticity and you, you two, the both of you covet it. That's not to say that you don't struggle with your own authenticity, you know, in the day to day, but why are you, why are both of you passionate about mental health? and authenticity. Who wants to go first? Go Becca. Go Becca. Go Rebecca. <sighs> oh, I'm having a tough time with this question. Just trying to uh, kind of summarize it. Um, You're already being authentic and saying that. Okay, good. Um, doing it right so far. I mm-hmm. I went into university uh, starting out as an English major and came up with a psych degree. And I think, I don't think that's what made me passionate about mental health. It must have always been there. Um, but I think kind of authentically following what I was interested in, it was psych. Um, and I haven't worked directly in 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 counseling um, after graduation, but I worked at a first volunteered at a woman's shelter and then worked there, um, and then volunteered with Scott and then worked there. So uh, I also think, side note, I also think volunteering is like the best thing you can do for yourself, mm-hmm. um, but and others. Um, but yeah, all of my work has kind of always revolved around um, improving people's lives and improving communities. And it just 
I just see time and time again that the best way to do that is to help people feel authentic or feel safe to be authentic um, and uh, and to lead by example and and choose to be authentic my myself. Mm-hmm. So I got to jump in with a question. Thank you. For Rebecca. Um, that was part of you. Yeah. And I totally agree with it. But then there's the other part that still works in the hospitality industry, and you love that. What what authentic part of you does that reflect? So funny you bring that up because I was just I was journaling this morning. I haven't journaled in a long time, and I've been mm-hmm. feeling a lot of uh, existential dread, to be honest. And my partner mm-hmm. uh, suggested that maybe I do some writing, so I did, mm-hmm. and I wrote that. I I actually am really eager to get back into the service industry, but I. I feel embarrassed. Like I'm 30. I have a, like a full-time job. Like, why am I still doing this? Why do I still even like it? I've been doing it for like 13 years. Um, I, I just love people so much. I authentically love people so much and love being around people. And, um, if you, if you, um subscribe to extroversion and introversion i'm a i'm a huge extrovert so people fill me up um and i don't know what constant influx of people and fresh faces you're just constantly being served a new slice of life yeah i like i like novelty as well and excitement Mm -hmm. so um but yeah, I think I'm I'm passionate about mental health and and authenticity because I because I love people. Yeah. Plain and, and I think, simple. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I love that. What was the question again? <laughs> Why? No worries. Why are you passionate about mental health and authenticity? So probably going to repeat earlier stuff and I apologize but I have my own mental health issues mm-hmm. so and 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 having written about them in the past and having so many people then come up to me even years later by the way and say that piece you wrote um, had an effect and here's why so So I'm passionate about connecting people around those experiences, which I, they're not universal, but we're all on, we're all on a spectrum of depression, anxiety, uh, maybe even addiction, all of us somewhere on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And um, so I do think it's near universal. and I just love, I love that. I think because it is authentic, it it demands authenticity of us uh, to to relate around our mental health issues. Um, so yeah, I, it just makes me. It gives me opportunity to really think, uh, and contemplate, and philosophize, and read, and chat with people about something, maybe it's a bit mysterious, but 
I don't think so. I think it has to do with the fact that I have my own story. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a lot of who I am. That story is a lot of who I am. Politician, not a big part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, storyteller, journalist, yeah, that's a part of who I am. And I really enjoy that. But someone with um, vulnerabilities who wants to meet other people around their vulnerabilities and talk about that and get to really know them. I think the fakery, the in, you know, inauthentic world we live in, I just have a hard time being in that world. That world, you know, I isolate from that world. So, um, so I'm drawn to opportunities to really connect on a, in a way where people are sharing their inner, inner world with each other. Yes. And, 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 and again, how would we really know what that other person, who that other person is? How would we really know that we like or love them unless we can begin to share their inner world? And um, those are hard things to do, but I think it is the secret to, in many ways, it might be the secret to happiness, is to be a kind of person where you can be comfortable. How can you be comfortable in your own skin if you haven't told the world who you really are? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so, that's those all those things fascinate me and i don't mean you have to go you know to the steps of city hall and scream that you know you have these weird proclivities or fantasies or whatever and whatever it is i don't mean that at all you can try but that i <laughs> yeah you could try that i am scared a lot of the time you know i am i am grieving the loss of this i fear that this is going to happen to me those are pro- those are probably there's a lot of universality in that. And and uh, and I don't know if we went back, you know, 10,000 years in the tribe, whether or not there was a lot of this, that was expected and people yeah. would share that. But we sure as hell have been bombarded with bogus opinions about what it means to be human and to be a successful human. And we got to question those opinions that we've been bombarded with and find our own. That's this, that's this, that's the struggle towards authenticity is recognizing a, your family, your friends, mass media advertising has bombarded you with billions of messages and opinions about what life is supposed to be about that are maybe not your own. Mm-hmm. So it's a journey. Your, your life is a journey of discovery and self-discovery towards things that that resonate with you and bad or good what your passions are what you love and don't love and and that is that is the journey towards authenticity as i see it yes beautifully said by the both of you i wholeheartedly agree and identify with everything it's um that was beautiful thank you so much I think that for myself, um, the only way that I'm fully living and participating in this world is if I'm being authentic. And, you know, we're all just passing through. And uh, why not make it the 
realist and most meaningful experience that you can while you're here. So, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, Thanks, Maria. I love you. I love both of you. I love you guys. I love you too. My whole heart. I love you both with my whole heart. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to meet you. And I have made it my own personal goal to make both of you really laugh very loudly. <laughs> <laughs> because word on the street is it's very, very amazing. <laughs> well, when, when Rebecca starts no, say when Rebecca starts laughing, cover your ears. No, I'll go running towards it. I'll join you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can have a laugh off. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for your time. I'm extremely humbled by this experience and I hope that I know that my listeners are going to be feel the same way. So, thanks for having us, Maria. Thank thanks, you. Maria. Take care. All right. Take care everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.